Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. The time has come for you to go back home or wherever it is that God has called you to serve. And essentially what you are on right now is what we call the moment of the commission. If you will, you may even use Jesus' very words, the moment of the great commission. And at this moment, we hear Jesus with the disciples gathered all around him. And what does he tell them? Behold, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Now, if you listen to that commission very carefully, it is a commission that is given at a very, very tricky moment. Jesus has recently come back from the dead. The disciples are still recovering from the shock of the events of the crucifixion. They are still wondering whether this is really the Messiah. They are still wondering how they will go on without this Jesus who says he's going back to the Father. And Jesus says, I know you're scared. I know you're not yet ready. I know there will be lots of challenges and trials and temptations and worries ahead of you. But as I call you, I call you not because you are qualified, but because I am committed to qualify you. If you listen to Jesus very carefully, the words of the Great Commission are like a sandwich. They begin with the promise of God's power. They end with the promise of God's presence. Behold, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, the therefore is connected to the authority and the power. The foundation of the Great Commission is the power and authority that Jesus has been given and now dispenses to those whom he has called. But when you come to the end of the verse, verse 20, he says, Behold, I will be with you till the very end of the age. He's already given them the power. Now he gives them his personal presence. And in between the power and the personal presence are those wonderful words, Go and make disciples of all nations. Discipleship cannot be possible apart from the power and the person and the presence of Jesus. That is the sandwich. That is the framework within which we go into the world and we turn it right side up. That is the framework within which we face cults and false teachers. And no matter what tactics or skills or knowledge or philosophy they throw at us, we come not in the power of philosophy and education and what we come in the power of Jesus himself. When you read Mark 16, towards the end there, it says actually that they went out and preached the good news of the gospel and daily Jesus was among them confirming everything they said with signs and wonders. Their job was to go out and faithfully speak. Jesus' job was to confirm that their message was true as he followed them with miracles and wonders wherever they preached. 
Cultists might have the money, they might have the experience, they might have the skills to manipulate and blackmail their members, but guess what? We have the power, the person, and the presence of the risen Lord. Nothing can beat that. You are going out into the world in that power. You are going out to make a bold proclamation of who Jesus is and to remind the world that he is no longer locked in the grave. He's risen. And no power, not even the power of death can, can, can stand against you. If death could not hold him in the grave, surely this risen Jesus can take you, can go ahead of you, can make hard hearts change and can build his church. So as we think about discipleship today, we need to be reminded that this is a very noble and important call that Christ has given us. And as we execute it, no matter the obstacles or the hurdles, the power of the Spirit of God is at work in and among us and through us to make possible the work of discipleship that he has called us for. I should remind you that our discipleship is taking place in a very hostile environment. When Jesus calls these disciples, he says, make disciples from the nations. These nations in the Hebrew or in the Greek language would mean people of different language groupings. They come from the word ethnos. Ethnos means language groupings. Jesus is sending them in a multicultural world. They will encounter people from different cultures and superstitions and the rituals of the world, but they will contend with power and hope because Jesus is among them. It's a multicultural world. It is not just a multicultural world, but it is also a multi-religious world. Jesus is not sending them to atheists. He's sending them to people who already have their religions with the Jewish religion at the center of it all. Who is going to persecute the disciples when the work begins? It is their fellow Jews from Jerusalem. When they flee, where are they going? They are going to Greek territories, they are going to Roman territories, where there is idol worship, where there is human sacrifice, where there is secular philosophy. All kinds of religions and religious worldviews are there. And in that context of alternative religions, of different contradicting spiritualities, of different cultures, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. It is a field that is riddled with everything that stands against the kingdom of God. It is a field where there are false teachers who claim to know the truth, to know the way, but actually don't and do not stand for the truth of the Christian faith. You will meet one major obstacle, and that obstacle is deception. You are called to disciple the nations against the background of deception and error no matter where you look. So the challenge is real. The battleground has been set. Spiritual forces of darkness will stand against you. And that is why you cannot go in your power. That is why you must also be dressed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because this is a war of the spirits. Human beings are involved as agents. But really the heartbeat of this war is spiritual. And if you are going to wage war against demons and powers of darkness... You, you better go with the spirit. Spirits fight spirits. And that is why the Holy Spirit is key here. 
that this discipleship, this building of the kingdom of God happens against the background of deception. And if we are going to be working against deception, then two things must happen. Number one, we must be discerning as messengers of the gospel. Because the first step to defeating the enemy is knowing who that enemy is. If you don't know whom you are fighting, how can you win over him? Discernment is the ability to separate, to tell the difference between good and error, right and wrong, right and almost right. Things that almost look like they are okay but are not. Being able to identify your enemy, distinguish him from your friends is foundational to winning this warfare. So you must not only just go out to make disciples, but you must be discerning as you make these disciples. Because we are in a context of deception, we are going to need to do another thing. We are going to go out not just as evangelists and disciples, but as defenders of the faith. Because in this battle, we are not only going to proclaim the message of the kingdom, but we are going to clarify it among people who are confused by the message. We are going to explain it to those who are ignorant about the message. We are going to convince the hard-hearted and the I don't care kind of people of the truthfulness of the Christian faith and win some, bring them to Christ. We are going to refute the negative and false teachings that we will find out there. And that is what we call the practice of Christian apologetics. We go there not just to tell people that Jesus is Lord, but we tell them why he is Lord. We tell them the implications of his lordship. We expose the false Jesuses that they have already believed who cannot save them. We show them the errors of their belief systems. We lift up the truth and the credibility of the Christian faith. And we say, this, my friends, is where eternal life is found. You must be defenders of the faith. Defenders of the faith who are discerning and who are able to make disciples in a context of great deception. And this is what Jesus basically tells the disciples. Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. But as you teach them, remember what context in which you serve. In Matthew 7, 15, he had said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You go out to contend with false prophets and false teachers and false gods, false Christs, false miracles, false doctrines, false teachings, and the list goes on. In a context of great falsehood and deception, Christ has called us not only to convince people that Jesus Christ can save them, but to disciple them to obey him as Lord. To make people who will follow Christ no matter where that road leads. And for that to happen, we ourselves as the messengers must not only be committed to the process of discipleship and discernment, we must make it our goal to make the people we talk to discerning as well. We must remember what the words of the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 verse 14. He says, solid food is for the mature who because of practice have made their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. What did we call that? Discernment. The process of distinguishing between good and evil. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that how you know mature Christians, 
you look at their level of discernment you look at how they are constantly practicing what they have learned and as they ground themselves in the truth which is discipleship they distinguish between good and evil so discipleship and discernment are inseparable they are like the two sides of a coin you cannot say you are discipled without being discerning the two go together in ephesians 4:14 paul says that we are no longer to be children that is spiritually immature tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by the craftiness in deceitful scheming when you hear those words paul is speaking in the context of deception again there is the trickery of men there is their craftiness there is deceitful scheming and he says in the midst of these things where there is every wind of doctrine we must no longer be children tossed here and there and how do we avoid being tossed here and there one we ground ourselves in biblical truth discipleship two we are able to distinguish between these guys and the genuine men of god discernment very very important these words were not penned by paul to address an imaginary problem it was a very real situation and paul seems to be saying that the discernment by any christian leader and his flock was and remains essential to the very health and survival of the church both then and now just as it was their call in ephesus just as it was their duty it remains ours as well so what do you go out to do you go out to do at least two things number one, you go out to equip the people god has put under your care to be able to recognize to resist and respond to such dangers as we have just uh, highlighted number two, you go out to warn your flock about real and specific dangers i call that vaccination we are living in times of covid-19 and now all we hear is the need to be vaccinated covid-19 is undeniably out there it is not just something invented by television and newspapers it is real it is dangerous and guess what it can affect different people very differently some get sick and recover quickly some get sick and stay sick for a very long time some get sick and die mostly it spreads from person to person mostly it is spread even much faster by large gatherings of unprotected people at least that's what scientists are telling us but you will also notice that prevention is possible and scientists have told us how we can prevent covid-19 one is through vigilance and proper hygiene if you wash very well if you are careful to social distance you will reduce if not eliminate the danger we must know our health weakness so that we are able to avoid certain kinds of contacts some people get it and they don't even realize it they get healed some people get it and they need to be on oxygen if you know your the status of your immunity you will be able to know whether you should just mingle anyhow or whether you need to keep your distance but one thing that has largely failed about this covid thing is locking down everyone lockdown has failed social distancing might work masks might work vaccinations might work but you cannot lock down everybody for all times 
Now, if you think about this carefully, false teaching is also like COVID-19. Number one, it is undeniably there. Much as we may not see it, obviously, every day, it is there, it is real, it is dangerous, it kills. Number two, it's not just a virus. There are many kinds of viruses. We've been hearing of COVID-19 virus mutations and, and vi variants that have come up in South Africa, in Nigeria. So is false teaching. It comes in different shades and different kinds. And it will attack the body of Christ in different ways. And people will be affected depending on their weaknesses, where they are spiritually. How do you avoid false teaching? Just like COVID-19, vigilance and proper spiritual care. Proper spiritual care begins by good nutrition, feeding on a steady diet of God's word. Avoiding unclean and infected teachings is what will help reduce the danger. And of course, not only that, but we must remember that we must build up the health and immune resistance of those who are spiritually weak. We keep hearing that COVID will affect you depending on how strong or weak your immunity is. The same thing applies to false teaching. The level of affecting you or infecting you depends on how spiritually immune you are. Our job as Christian leaders is to boost the immunity systems of the people that we serve, that they are spiritually strong, they are spiritually awake, they are spiritually able to resist those teachings that target them. We cannot lock down everyone from false teaching. False teaching is on television, false teaching is on radio in your bedroom, false teaching is on a scripture verse on a taxi, false teaching is on a piece of paper you pick from the toilet, false teaching is everywhere. Just like you cannot lock down people because of COVID-19, you can't lock down people to protect them from false teaching. So since you can't lock them down, what do you do? You equip them to go out and live positively with it. When people have been equipped and they know how to protect themselves from this false teaching, then they will be able to survive. We go out to guide and guard our members from these false teachers and their false teaching. And as we do that, we are especially reminded from Paul's writing from the different letters on what we can do. In addressing the church leaders, Timothy, Titus, and the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, Paul explains the special role and responsibility of protecting the sheep day by day. In his general epistles, he equips the entire body of Christ, young, old, small, and great, and he reminds them of the danger of false teaching. In all his letters, he weaves in warnings of false teaching and their danger and how they can affect the body of Christ and some of the things that we need to be aware about. Now, Paul, Peter, John, all of these guys really talk about false teachers and there are a number of things they tell us about them. Number one, they tell us that false teachers are deliberately trying to deceive you. You read that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. They deceive both the, the educated and the not, the trained and the not. And how do they do it? Ephesians 4 verse 14 tells us that they do it with great skill. By the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. You remember that word secretly that we were looking at the other day? 
They come in secretly, not wanting to be noticed. Number two, that they are always looking for weaknesses. People who are weak in their spiritual standing with Christ. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 6, we are told that they enter into households to captivate weak women who are weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. They look for the weak. They target those who have not studied their Bibles. Those who are just in the church always shouting and getting excited emotionally but never really getting grounded in biblical truth. And they take advantage of the unsuspecting. 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 to 4 They take advantage of those who want to have their ears tickled. Those who want to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. A false teacher knows that you are eager to become rich he will bring prosperity gospel for you. He knows that you are desperate for healing. He will tell you that he can actually pray for your healing. He knows that you are eager to know about your future. He will come to you as a prophet. Thus says the Lord. And before you know it, his Lord has told you to sell your farm, to sell your car, to bring your salary every month. And if you are not careful, he will call you to bring your wife. Very serious. Number three, these people are looking to inflate or enrich themselves at your expense. Second Peter 2 verse 3, we are told that in their greed, they exploit you with the stories that they have made up. They seek to make you spiritually captive. Colossians 2 verse 8 tells us. Paul warns the Colossians and says, See to it that no one takes you captive through defective, false philosophy and the traditions of this world. Number five, their consciences of these men, we are told that their consciences are damaged or dead. They no longer care about what the Holy Spirit is saying. When they lie to you for them, that's a sign of smartness. They don't feel guilty at all. Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, men will be deceived by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences have been seared as with hot iron. Who cause others to fall away from the faith? Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. When Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.17, he says, Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. How do they do it? They do it in different ways, of course. If they did it in one way, everybody would know who they are. So they do it in different ways. Matthew 7.15 tells us that they pretend to be godly, at least in their actions and appearances. While looking like sheep outwardly, inwardly, they are ravenous, ferocious wolves looking for whom to devour. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 15, and he describes the apostles, the false apostles of his day. He says that they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They look or disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They are not, but they disguise themselves. They are not apostles of Christ that they disguise themselves and look like. And in so doing, they manipulate, they exploit, they enslave you emotionally, spiritually, and otherwise. In Galatians 2.4, Paul says that they are false brothers who have sneaked in to spy on our freedom, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to enslave us. The key word there comes again, who have sneaked in. 
Sneaking is a deliberate effort to conceal what you are trying to do. You come in on tiptoe, secretly, because you don't want what you are doing to be known. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 20, Paul says that you guys are in trouble because a false teacher comes in among you. He enslaves you, he devours you, he takes advantage of you, he even slaps you in the face. That's how serious it is. They twist the scriptures. Second Peter 3.16 Peter says that for they are untaught and unstable and they distort the scriptures to their own destruction. False teachers attack important doctrines that are foundational to our Christian faith. Second Corinthians 11 we talked about another Jesus a different spirit and a different gospel that they bring in. Second Peter 1 he calls them destructive heresies that include denying even the master who bought them. They reject biblical apostolic teaching that is preserved for us in the scripture. First John chapter 4 verse 6, John begins this chapter by saying, Brothers, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, for false prophets have gone into the world. In verse 6 he says, this is how you will know the false prophets. And how do you know them? He says they do not listen to our teaching with the apostles. They do not submit to apostolic doctrine. They do not submit to the scriptures, which is the word of God that the apostles have communicated. But John says, those who do not listen to us, be very careful of them. This is how you will know that they do not belong to us. They come with supernatural, extra-biblical revelations. Colossians chapter 2.18 tells us that they take their stand on visions they claim to have seen. And very importantly, because so many people have been taken advantage of by men and women who claim that God has revealed certain things to them. And we need to watch out for them. These false teachers encourage what God has forbidden and prohibit what God has permitted. Jude 4 describes them that they are those men who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. In 1 Peter 4.3, he says that they are those people who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. They permit what God has forbidden, they forbid what God has permitted. Total reverse. They cause divisions in the house of God to advance their own selfish interests. Jude 19 says these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, who are devoid of the spirit. We need to watch out for them. We need to watch out for them. Paul and John not only describe the characteristics of these false teachers and their dangerous nature that they come with, but he even clearly identifies some of them in order to protect the flock. Sometimes in our attempt to spread the good news of the gospel, we may have to expose false teachers so that our members know who they are and they stay clear of them. Paul does not only identify them, but he also identifies the nature of their error. Listen to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. He identifies a man called Alexander the Coppersmith. He says, be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our apostolic teaching. He opposed our teaching. 
And anyone who opposes apostolic teaching opposes the word of God because these apostles communicated God's very word. He says a man who opposes apostolic teaching is a false teacher should not be allowed in your midst. In 2 Timothy 2:16-18, he identifies Hymenaeus and Philetus and he says that they have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Preaching a false resurrection. In 1 Timothy 1.20, he talks about Jimenez and Alexander. He says they are blasphemers. They insult God. In 3 John 9-10, John identifies a man called Diotrephes. And he says that he loves to be first. He does not accept what we, the apostles, say. He makes false accusations. He does not receive the brethren. And forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of church. He identifies the error of this man and he says, Beware of that man, Deotrips. Sometimes we need to be that bold and say, Beware of Pastor so and so, beware of Prophet so and so. He does not cater to your interests. Our members need to know where the danger is so that they can discern it properly and they can defend their faith from it. So what can you teach your congregation to do or to be or to see in order to be effective? Number one, they need to observe in you what Paul instructs and exemplifies. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. He demonstrates faithfulness, transparency, accountability in the ministry, and he makes sure that whatever he does, he does it to the best of his ability so he can be faithful to his Lord. When you are a Christian leader who can be trusted and relied on, your members not only believe the truth you teach them, but they go out and they practice it. If you want people to practice what you teach, they must see you practice the very things. The best way to teach people faithfully is to demonstrate and exemplify what you are teaching. If you are the man who is just talking but you are not a doer, nobody is going to take you seriously. And we need to be aware of that. That being exemplary in what we do or say will go a long way in helping the people that we follow so that we can be able to teach right and to live by example. Number two, he says that we must know how and why scripture emphasizes the danger of false teaching so strongly. Many people think that false teaching is just a weakness. They do not know that false teaching is dangerous, that it could even condemn you eternally. Our people need to understand the danger and the consequences of false teachings so that they recognize that this is the single most battle that everybody is engaged in and one that we must win or else we are eternally doomed. They need to understand that seriousness. But beyond knowing the danger of false teachers, they need to understand and appreciate the foundational teachings of our Christian faith. The apostolic teaching. If people do not know what the Bible teaches, it doesn't matter how much of the false teachings they know. It won't help them. Knowing the danger but never having the solution does not help in any way. They must have the solution. And the solution is in the apostolic teaching. That good deposit that the Apostle Paul talked about when he was writing to Timothy, the good deposit that you have received, that God's people, grounded in truth, are well equipped to discern the danger and to defend their faith. Many, 
men, women who rightly handle the word of God and know how to wisely interpret and apply it. They must understand why the Bible is central in this struggle. That the Bible is uniquely authoritative and trustworthy because there is no power to defeat deception outside God's word. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. And if they do not know God's word, how can they stand against deception and error? The word of God is central. It is the sword of the spirit. They may recognize the danger, but if they do not have the word which is able to cut down that danger, they will still fail. They will still be lost. We must teach them to exercise wisdom, to be people who know how to test before they trust, as we find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. People who will be on guard so that they are not carried away by the error of these deceptive false teachers. People who will not only turn away from them, but who will proclaim the alternative, the biblical gospel. It is one thing to, to see false teachers and chase them, but it is even much a much better thing for you to engage them if you know how. We want our members, the members of our congregation, not only to recognize and identify error, but to have the confidence to address it, to have the confidence to challenge it, to have the confidence to commend the gospel before all, young and old. If we imitate the New Testament apostles in the ways they respond to false teachers and false teaching, and we encourage our members to do likewise, with the time, our congregation will not only be grounded disciples, but they will be disciples who discern, who recognize and appreciate the struggle we are in, and therefore seek to confidently stand firm in their faith. But they will also be agents of discernment and defense of the faith. They will not only learn what to do, but they will teach others how to do it. And that is the goal of discipleship. That you entrust what you have been given to reliable, trustworthy men and women who equally pass it all. As you pursue these things, I want to remind you that as ACFA, we are so glad that we have been able to train you and we are here to support you and stand with you in any way in your struggle for the defense of the Christian faith. So feel free to contact us, to reach us for resources, for materials, for prayer, for opportunities to partner together in seminars and conferences, we solely exist to equip men like you who are daily at the front line of error that you may stand firm in victory as you seek to make disciples for Jesus. And finally, I am reminded of these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Your labor, brothers, is not in vain. Praise the Lord. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.